Hey everyone, this is Brian Ferguson. If you're listening to this, then I know you enjoy the Bumps and Thumps podcast. In order to continue to get the guests on and improve our podcast, we need support from listeners like you. That financial support helps us continue to do the podcast and get guests on that we normally would not be able to get on the show. Please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dot Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N and the number three after and click on the support button. There will be options there for you to make a monthly contribution. With your contribution, we can continue to conduct the podcast and ask more well-known wrestlers from the past and present that require financial compensation to be on the podcast. Again, please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dot Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N and the number three and click on the support button. Thank you for listening to the podcast and thank you for your support. Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today has been a part of professional wrestling since the early 1960s. He has directed, produced, promoted, and refereed many pro wrestling programs for the AWA and the WWF. He was inducted into the Minnesota Broadcasting Hall of Fame in 2015. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce Mr. Al Darusha. Al, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on Bumps and Thumps. Hey, thank you, Brian, for that uh, very kind introduction. Uh, yeah, it's always fun uh, to uh, talk about uh, wrestling. Uh, it's been uh, quite a uh, roller coaster career for me, uh, and uh, I enjoyed uh, every moment of being uh, in wrestling. It's been uh, unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> As you probably know. I have uh, looked at some of your past interviews and mm -hmm. uh, Greg Ganya, Jim Brunzel, Ken mm -hmm. Patera, and I see you talked with the butcher, Vishan. Yes. Yeah, you had some um, <clears throat> some real great uh, interviews, and I feel honored to be a part of it. Well, thank you, and it's an honor to have you on. I appreciate you. Uh coming on here for us today. I, it's, it's an honor for, for me. So I've admired you since I was a, you know, a little guy, I'd see you on TV, uh, either refereeing or, or talking about a show coming up uh, in the twin cities or things like that. So uh, it, it's my pleasure to have you on. So thank you. Good. Thanks. All right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your childhood growing up, uh, in Minnesota, Family life, schoolings. Can, can you talk about that a little bit for us? Sure. I uh, was born uh, November eighth, nineteen thirty-five. Uh, don't tell anybody my age. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from a family of eleven children. I'm the eleventh of eleven. Okay. And I grew up in St. Paul, in an area called the West Side Flats which is along the Mississippi River uh, in a um, 
during 1943 and 44, during the war, a carnival came into the uh, park and set up, uh, <clears throat> you know, during the war, you couldn't get uh, gas or fuel or tires, and the carnivals had to find a place to set up. So uh, carnival called the Bazinet Shows moved into the Harriet Island, and I lived, uh, oh, just two blocks from there. Mm -hmm. And in 1943, um, myself and my brother and a couple of my sisters went over and we got a job uh, at the carnival, you know, selling tickets and doing whatever. And my first job was to uh, pick up the balls in the ball <laughs> game. And I started out working in uh, game concessions and I actually uh, was um, there in 45 when the river flooded out an unheard of uh, flood that year it just flooded uh, from one bank of St. Paul uh, all the way across the, the Harriet Island and of course our house was flooded out along with all the other houses. Mm -hmm. And uh, in 1945, uh, we got flooded out at the Herod Island, and the uh, folks that I worked for uh, uh, came to my parents and asked if I could uh, go out on the road and travel with them. And mm -hmm. with 11 kids, uh, they welcomed the uh, suggestion. <laughs> they uh, they knew the people I worked for, and uh, anyway, I went out on the road uh, in 1945, and uh, until 1953, uh, we traveled the uh, five-state area. You know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, the Dakotas, and. Uh, in 1953, I was a um, uh, senior uh, in high school, at Humboldt mm -hmm. High School in St. Paul, okay. and um, I was on a, uh, what they call a senior work program, where you go to school in the morning and get out around 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and go on a various job. It was like on the job training. Um, I worked at the St. Paul Plastic Company, uh, uh, a sheet metal uh, uh, company, a fisher nut company. Oh, I don't know, all different. You <laughs> would work a month, maybe two months, and then you'd go back down on the list, uh, and the uh, students... Uh, uh, you were on a kind of a list, you know, and when a right. job would come up, um, the uh, teacher would say, uh, I got this job, that job. And we had about 15, 20 students in the program. Mm -hmm. And in 1953, as it were, uh, the um, job opportunity came up at the television station. Now that was back in 1953. 
And yeah. the student, the TV station was looking <clears throat> for someone uh, to work as a mailboy, work in the office, drive uh, the uh, station wagon, pick up props, go to advertising agencies and clients and pick up props and what have you. Mm -hmm. And um, the student ahead of me, it was his uh, chance for the job, and uh, it required a driver's license, of Mm -hmm. course. Yeah. And he didn't have a driver's license. (laughs) So I was blessed, thank the good Lord, I had a driver's license. So the teacher said, Al, go over to the television station located in the Ham Building in St. Paul, and I got the job, and the rest was, uh, the rest is history. I was uh, a mailboy, prop guy, and on the weekends, I started um, working in the studio, Mm -hmm. setting up sets and props, and I learned how to do lighting and what have you. And eventually, uh, I was promoted into uh, uh, TV producer, director. Mm. And I was doing um, a lot of the sports, Minnesota State High School, basketball, hockey tournaments, Little League, uh, uh, baseball, and Minnesota Twins baseball and uh, so I was pretty much a sports director, mm-hmm. and uh, in 1950, uh, 1961, mm-hmm. wrestling moved from one station in Minneapolis, Channel 9, and came to um, Channel 11, okay. WTCN-TV. Mm-hmm. So the um, production manager said, uh, Al, we're going to have all-star wrestling on our station. Would you like to uh, direct it? And I said, yeah. Uh, it's on uh, Saturdays. Mm-hmm. And you get uh, get some extra pay. Well, at that point, you know, being a young father with four children and <laughs> Yeah. I, I didn't want to pass up the opportunity for the for the uh, extra money, mm-hmm. so I actually started uh, uh, producing and directing uh, 1961. Wow, that's that's amazing. So my understanding is uh, you worked in, when you worked at TV station. So you you didn't go to college for any of that. They just you're just your work ethic and your ability to to work right. got yeah, you. No, I, yeah, it was tough enough for me actually with the money situation when I was you know growing up and yeah. uh, going to school. Uh, uh, as I said, I traveled on the carnival all summer in the mm-hmm. winter time. I worked. Six days a week setting up uh, pins in a bowling alley, which was a really tough job from 6 to 11 o'clock every night. And so I uh,
college in St. Paul and did a few night classes, but I just didn't with the TV and everything else. Yeah. Uh, I I just couldn't, uh, you know. So I, you know, I was blessed that uh, uh, what I was doing, you know, mm-hmm. back to where uh, the conversation when I grew up, we. It was pretty tough. We had 11 kids. We lived in what they called a uh, cold water flat. Mm -hmm. uh, We had uh, running cold water and uh, a stool and no uh, shower, nothing like that. We had uh, a potbelly stove in the uh, living room and a... um, cook stove, wood stove in the kitchen for mm-hmm. cooking right. and uh, uh, no furnace, no heat, no, you know, yeah. it was, it was tough. It was tough growing up, yeah. but everybody in our neighborhood was in the same uh, uh, predicament, if you will, or the growing up, uh, yeah. nobody had any money. Everybody worked hard. It was a good ethic neighborhood and everybody got along well it was a great place to grow up so yeah. uh we let our family uh you know learned worth ethics if you wanted uh yeah. if you needed and wanted some spending money uh you went out and worked and did you know junking and picking up uh um, you know pop bottles and selling them for yeah. two cents <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, you did whatever, whatever yeah. it took, and uh, so anyway, it was. Uh, that's how I uh, kind of got into uh, the the uh, uh, rest uh, uh, carnival, as I told right. you, and into wrestling. Yeah, so you got into wrestling and in, sounded like in 1961 when basically the AWA was, uh, been around for about a year, I believe at that time. Uh, what was it like working, uh, with those guys like Vern and, and Wally Carbo and cause you did both the directing and producing, and then you got more involved from what I've seen anyways, with the wrestling business itself. Uh, can you kind of talk about how you got into it? Oh yeah. Uh, well, in 1961, as I said, the wrestling came in uh, to the Channel 11, and uh, I started uh, producing and directing. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 1973, uh, I left the TV station after 20 years mm-hmm. and went full time with, uh, the AWA. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I, uh, was in television sales selling TV time, but, um, they allowed me to uh, produce and direct the wrestling on the weekends. Yeah. So from, uh, yeah, from 61 to 73, I produced and directed, uh, uh, you know, all the wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were, uh, the, the um, AWA, we were in probably 16, 18 
uh, major markets. We were in Denver, Phoenix, San Francisco, Winnipeg, Montreal, Chicago, Milwaukee, Rockford, Illinois, uh, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, Sioux City, Iowa, Omaha, Nebraska, goes on and on. When we were doing, in the early days, actually black and white television, Mm -hmm. uh, producing and directing and doing the wrestling at the TV studio. And uh, when, yeah, at Calhoun Beach Hotel, we would have a lot, maybe 100, 150 people would apply for tickets to come to the TV studio and be a part of the taping. Mm -hmm. And um, we, um, when videotape came on the scene, we were able to videotape the wrestling and, you know, Vern Gagne was uh, a genius, if you will, when it come to uh, expanding the AWA into the television markets that I just mentioned. Yeah. Vern knew the um, value of television. You couldn't, you know, really uh, put wrestling over uh with radio and newspaper when when you went on the air and television as you know with the excitement and whatever it uh so it uh, the awa in its heyday was uh, without a doubt the most successful wrestling promotion along with the wwf in new york mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, there was uh, the uh, NWA and uh, uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling, Florida Championship, and uh, so there were, as you know, and some of your listeners know that there were uh, a lot of uh, wrestling promotions throughout the country and up into Winnipeg. So, uh, but. Uh, as I, when I left the station and went to work for uh, full time with Vernon Wally, um, I stayed there with them until uh, 1990. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, uh, traveled to uh, all of the uh, markets that we mentioned, all the major uh, promotions all across the country and up into Canada. Uh, And uh, I refereed. Mm -hmm. They called me the AWA troubleshooting referee. (laughs) I would come (laughs) in for special, special events, you know, special main events, cage matches, uh, battle royals, whatever. And uh, did a lot, a tremendous amount of uh, of uh, refereeing mm-hmm. uh, in that twenty years. I guess I I wouldn't even probably a couple of hundred matches or more. Yeah. Um, and uh, I did the ring announcing way back uh, mm-hmm. first. Uh, 
in the 60s, the uh, announcer was um, Marty O'Neill, mm-hmm. and Roger Kent did the um, play-by-play. Right. And when uh, Marty O'Neill passed away, uh, I started to do the um, ring announcing. And uh, interesting, uh, one thing... Um, uh, when I was in uh, sales at Channel 11, mm-hmm. selling television time, Mean Gene Okerlin was also a TV salesman along with me, and uh, that's how when I uh, that's how I met uh, Gene Okerlin. Uh, the uh, I think it was in sometime in the early 70s mm-hmm. the um, TV station the engineers the um, uh, broadcast announcers like Roger Kent Marty O'Neill couldn't um, cross the uh, picket line and they were union members and so Vern came to me and said gee we gotta gotta get somebody to uh, Fill in while, you know, while the station's on strike. And I said, I got, I, I got the guy. Gene Oakland. He's a salesman with me. Uh, he's uh, uh, spent five or six years as a rock jock on the uh, rock and roll station, WKDUB. Oh. And okay. he was... Yeah, no. and he also, uh, when he was a teenager, had his uh, had a band. Uh, he played the piano and the guitar, and it really, you know, well, you know, Mean Gene, it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Vern said, "Well, does he know anything about wrestling?" I said, "Well, uh, we'll teach him." <laughs> so, yeah. uh, Gene had a uh, cabin on a lake up here in Minnesota and uh, we went up on a couple of weekends I went up there with them and we kind of did mock up uh, interviews and uh, you know plugging uh, where to get your tickets and how to do the uh, you know the interviews whatever blah 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 mm-hmm. and it worked out you know with yeah. the gene that's not real tall and uh, uh, like Roger Kent did some of the interviews, but he was so big he overpowered the wrestlers. But uh, yeah. Oaks, you know, uh, worked out well. And I, I'm sure everybody knows the history of Mean Gene. We uh, kind of our uh, kids grew up together, and we were mm-hmm. really close friends. And then, of course, we all went. I think in 84, 85, mm-hmm. uh, when uh, the AWA was struggling with uh, Vince McMahon and the WWE, mm-hmm. uh, we uh, a lot of us went to uh, New York, uh, yeah. Bachwinkle and Heenan and uh, Jesse Ventura, Mad Dog Deshaun, uh we all, uh, uh, Hulk Hogan, we all went, my son Gary, who produced and directed all the TV for events, 
Uh, and so we all went to New York together, and that's a whole other story. That was <laughs> an unbelievable experience. Yeah. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, when you guys, a lot of you left, uh, when you went from the AWA to the WWF, uh, did did Vern kind of take it personal or did he understand, okay, it's business, I, you know, I can't pay you what he pays you? Or, or was there some little bit of tension there for a while? If I can, if you, if you don't mind answering that. Oh, I don't know. A lot of the uh, the guys uh, uh, left uh, Vern for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I when I left Vern, I gave him a, a, a three week notice, and uh, because we were in the middle of you know mm-hmm. doing videos and and uh, uh, you know promoting towns and whatever, I didn't want to leave him. Uh, High and dry. I gave him uh, a novice, uh, right. and uh, you know, I, it was an opportunity for me, and mm-hmm. uh, and actually more money. Yeah. Uh, well, some of the guys left uh, because of uh, having problems with Vern. Uh, uh, Vern was, God love him, he's uh, you know unbelievable. Uh, athlete and a great promoter and uh but he was a little a little hard to get along with mm-hmm. and uh, you know the uh the awa was kind of going downhill a little bit and mm-hmm. uh like hulk hogan uh, uh Vern didn't have uh, didn't use a lot of the talent uh the way uh, Vince McVinnie, Vinny, mm-hmm. Vince Jr., uh, knew how to handle the guys and knew what their uh, forte was and what they could do. And like Jesse Ventura, when he went to uh, New York, uh, you know, became the commentator and did mm-hmm. all a lot of the interviews along with like Bobby Heenan. And where here in the AWA, uh, it was a little different uh, format, and uh, mm-hmm. so he, no, he he took it pretty uh, hard with some of the uh, main talent, like I just mentioned, that right. uh, that went to New York, and uh, then Vern tried to to compete with uh, Vince and put on a lot of you know Wrestle Rocks and uh, yeah. Wrestle Rock shows. Uh, country western promotions and tried to get the wrestling involved and it, it just uh he spent a lot of money uh you know in competition with the wwe but at the end he he uh just didn't uh have enough financial backing to keep going yeah yeah i've uh it was too bad because you know when I was a kid, I really enjoyed the AWA. Even though you, I mean, there was talent coming in, but it seemed like they were there for a while, and then they go to New York, and it was too bad because I think if it would have been a little bit different, 
I think the AWA could have competed. I mean, I've heard stories, you know, and uh, I heard, I mean, Wally Carbo, I've heard is just a, a, a true gentleman. He tried to keep everything under, under the, uh, under wraps, you know, as far as, you know, cause you said Vern was tough to work for, but I heard Wally was just great. And what was Wally Carbo like with you? If, Wally, if, uh, if Vern didn't have Wally, a buffer between he and the wrestlers. Uh, there wasn't a wrestler that came into the territory that didn't love Wally. Yeah. Uh, Uncle Wally. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he would take care of the boys yeah. and uh, they could go to Wally. And uh, uh, Wally was a genius when it came to uh, uh you know, putting together matches and, mm-hmm. and, uh, he, uh, he earned the respect of every wrestler, uh, in the years that I wrestled, uh, that I was involved in wrestling. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you one wrestler who didn't love Wally Carville, trusted him a hundred percent. What Wally said went, you know, was good enough for them. And yeah. Wally would kind of uh, patch things up with the, with the boys and uh, try to take care of them. And uh, Vern would not have lasted uh, uh, as long as he did without uh, Wally. There's yeah. no doubt about that. You know, when, uh, when Vern uh, wrestled uh, in 1948 in the Olympics, and um, he wrestled in uh, Chicago mm-hmm. for Fred Kohler, I think at the time was the promoter, mm-hmm. in the, um, uh, on the Dumont Network in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, the AWA in Minneapolis was owned by a guy named Tony Stecker. Mm-hmm. And Wally worked for Tony Stecker back in the late 40s and 50s. Wally uh, uh, was the uh, promoter uh, for for Stecker. And uh, so Wally was around, you know, uh, wrestling and whatever. And when Vern came in, uh, I think in 50 or 51, and uh, bought Tony Stecker out and took over the AWA. Yeah. Of course, uh, Wally stayed with him. Probably a good thing, huh? Yeah. Wally was <laughs> a fun guy. Yeah. We used to uh, uh, have a lot of fun with him. We call him Wallyisms. You know, Wally, <laughs> he was. I, you know, you tell stories and it sounds like we're putting them down, but uh, uh, the respect for Wally in the business uh, was, uh, you know, unbelievable. But yeah. uh, we were doing an interview, a live interview, all the TV we did in Minneapolis, of course, was all live. And uh, when um, Ivan Putsky came into the territory uh they built them up as you know from krakow poland and 
and speaks uh, very little English. And <laughs> Marty O'Neill was doing the interview, and he said, but wrestling fans, don't worry about it. We've got uh, Wally Carbo. Of course, Wally was a Polish. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, uh, Wally, come on in. And he said, we're uh, going to ask uh Ivan, a few questions. He said, let's uh, start out with, um, Ivan, uh, how much do you weigh? Mm-hmm. And uh, Wally looks at uh, Ivan and says, uh, how much are you weigh? And <laughs> Marty cracked up. I mean, he started like, how much do you weigh? Instead of in <laughs> Polish, broken English. <laughs> and then for Bobby Heenan, at one time he was fired from the building, and Wally said he better not show up his face at the arena. <laughs> he would come out with some. And at one time he said uh, uh, he's not a foreignized to be here, and uh, he, we had fun with him. Uh, yeah, he, he was a good guy. Uh, yeah. And Nick Bachwinkle did his uh, eulogy. Of course, we were all at his funeral, which was mm-hmm. unbelievable. The people that showed up with the fans and the promoters from all around the country came in. And, yeah. and uh, of course, the fans. And it was really unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, he, was, he was a great guy. You know, just, yeah. just really good. Yes, sounds like um, a wonderful man. Ah, uh, he he was great, and and uh, fun to be with. He was a great uh, uh, fisherman. Uh, oh he yeah, the in a lake, and Wally was you know instead of uh, going out and uh, buying uh, worms or whatever, he had a garden in the back of his cabin and yeah then we're gonna go fishing and he'd go and dig up his worms and <laughs> put them in the coffee can and just yeah. a real really simple simple yeah. guy you know that's great so, yeah. but you know we had uh, uh when uh when uh you mentioned the wrestlers who had come into a territory, you know, that was the way it all worked. Uh, yeah. uh, talent would come into a territory, uh, like, say, the Midnight Rockers, uh, Marty Gennady, and uh, uh, Shawn Michaels would come in, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the wrestlers would come in, Jesse Ventura, Adrian Adonis, Mm-hmm. And they'd uh, be in the territory for maybe two and a half, three years. Mm-hmm. And then they would go to another territory and then you'd build up uh, uh, another uh, wrestler coming into the territory from New York or from uh, French Von Eric or Texas mm-hmm. Bob Geigel or Florida and uh, Donnie Owens out on the West Coast. They, mm-hmm. You would exchange talents, you yeah. know, because after a while, after they worked all the angles and went through all the, the territory, uh, 
uh, they would bring in, you know, new fresh talent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Way back when, um, when it was the WWWF, the World Wide Wrestling Federation, uh, we worked very close. Uh, Vern uh, worked very close with Vince McMahon Sr. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it brought in a lot of uh, talent uh, from uh, New York. Uh, I was in uh, in New York when uh, Vince uh, Sr. passed away. In fact, we had a, a thing at the Madison Square Garden for him. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, rang the bell ten times and did the thing. It was quite emotional. Yeah. And uh, Vince uh, Jr. was in the... Um, rock and roll business with Cindy Lauper and uh, he uh, promoted uh, rock and roll shows. He really wasn't that involved with his dad in wrestling. And uh, and his dad passed away. Uh, Vince, uh, how he got by with it, because back then you had you know, your territories, everybody's mm-hmm. big in their own territory. They all had their own champion, their television. Uh, and Vince comes in and starts buying TV time in all the major TV markets. And that's kind of how that all, uh, you know, started. In fact, yeah. he came in to uh, Minneapolis to um, meet with Vern Ganya and wanted to um, partner with Vern or buy him out. And, of course, Vern uh, refused. So Vince yeah. said, well, I gave you the chance. How you went to a TV station here and bought TV time. And he did that all over the country. With yeah. my television background, if you will, I traveled a lot to start with uh, Vince in Indianapolis, and we went up into Canada and uh, into Winnipeg, Toronto, and he bought TV time and kind of took over, um, expanded the, the WWWF and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, into the AWA territory. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was, uh, you know, that... Uh, that hurt uh, Vern. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I, you know, the uh, history of uh, WWF and how it became WWE. Well, I know. Why don't you explain it to us? I know a little bit, but you probably more know more than I would. <clears throat> well, the New York Athletic Commission wanted to tax wrestling as a sport and at uh, that time the boxing commission you know the boxing mm-hmm. wasn't doing all that well and they needed money and so they wanted to uh tax uh vince as a uh, sport and mm-hmm. vince uh this is vince jr mm-hmm. says uh hey 
we're not a sport. We're entertainment. Uh, <laughs> if they're going to attack us as entertainment and a sport, they're going to have to tax every uh, entertainment group that comes into New York. And Vince <laughs> went to uh, court and actually uh, won the case. And so he switched it over to WWE. I mean, yeah. he admitted that it was entertainment. Yeah. So that's how WWE started. I'm sure a lot of promoters weren't happy with that when that came about. Oh, well, all back in the old, I don't like to, you know, it, way back it was kayfabe and, you know, yeah. Yeah. But uh, 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 Vern was, uh, Vern would never, ever talk entertainment or he didn't call it a, the wrestling business. He, he stuck pretty much to, mm-hmm. to uh, kayfabe and, you know, it was, it was an entirely different uh, situation when I alluded to that earlier the way uh, the way Vince uh, promoted and and uh, he he was a little more loose, if you will, mm-hmm. and admitted uh, and that it was entertainment. So. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I remember that now that you said that, and uh, there was a lot of discussion about it i'll put it to you like that so yeah yeah <laughs> uh working now did you just mainly work for the awa and wwf is that the two you mainly work for when you were in the wrestling business i'm sorry i didn't hear you uh, okay i said uh when you were in the rest uh, did you mainly just work for the awa and the wwf yeah, I did go up into uh, do some uh, direct, uh, producing, directing a um, a show for uh, uh, Mad Dog Vashon and Butcher. They had a uh, they had a little uh, TV network, if you will, up in uh, uh, Canada, up in Montreal and mm-hmm. uh, Toronto, and uh, it was pretty much broadcast in uh, in, in uh, French mm-hmm. and. Um, I went up and produced and directed uh, uh, some shows for the Mad Dog. Mm-hmm. And then after the AWA, I worked with Wally and Ladies Professional Wrestling. Okay. Uh, started a, um, uh, tried to uh, start a uh, Ladies Professional Wrestling uh, League. And we videotaped it a lot of uh, uh, remote broadcasts, uh, pay for view uh, with lady wrestling, but it didn't, it, it fizzled out. It yeah. didn't, uh, didn't go. Uh, so, yeah. but, and then of course, uh, back in the seventies, um, we were, um, you know, in all the major markets, that I mentioned, right, and they were all pretty much on the weekends, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Fridays, Saturdays, Sunday, uh, 
uh, Winnipeg, Denver, where Bobby Furs play. But um, I got the idea that, you know, a lot of the wrestlers lived here in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of them in uh, Chicago and Milwaukee, like the Crush. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I said to Vern, you know, there's a lot of secondary markets, if you will, like Minot, North Dakota, uh, uh, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, uh, uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, Sioux City, Iowa. They all get television. Mm-hmm. So well, maybe uh, we should promote uh, some matches there. I said I'd be more than happy to, uh, to do that and uh, handle it. So I put together a promotion, uh, pro wrestling promotions, mm-hmm. and I would uh, bring, uh, I, it was unreal. I had all the major talents on the, on my cards. Oh, wow. I even had Hulk Hogan uh, in some of my, uh, he wrestled in some of the high school gyms in my promotion when he first came here. Nick Bockwinkle, Bobby Heenan, The Crusher, Mad Dog, they all, you know, they're sitting around Monday through whatever and nothing going on, not making any money. So uh, I put together that. I did that for about uh, seven, eight years. Oh, wow. Very successful. I did uh, as high as 75 and 80 towns a year oh goodness wow that's amazing yeah yeah well like and i was looking through my book here in 1973 i did uh, along with all the other major markets mm-hmm. i did uh, 73 uh towns in 1979 oh wow uh, yeah and uh it uh, it worked out really well. What I would do is uh, book, say, like three towns mm-hmm. in South Dakota, and we'd go and do the tour, do three towns in Wisconsin, Iowa, you know, and uh, kept the boys busy. And they made, yeah. uh, they picked up some money, and so did I. It was very... Uh, very successful, yeah. And we had a lot of fun. You, uh, I know you were at the um, Crusher Fest in Milwaukee. Yes. Uh, I want to talk to you about that, but I'll tell you a story about Buck. Remember Buck Rock and Roll Zoom Hop? I I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, with the big radio yep. and the, the rock and roll music. Uh-huh. We were. Yeah, we were promoting a town called New Ulm, Minnesota, and you can guess it was pretty a German town, you know. Yeah. With, uh, <laughs> and we were, uh, the Crusher, uh, all of his interviews, he would say, you know, I do the polka and uh, dance with all the dollies around the ring and, you know, blah, blah. <laughs> so Buck would always come out in, on the spot shows. And with his radio and the rock and roll music, 
while we were in New Alm, which they called the polka capital of the world, there was a, <laughs> a, a lot of polka bands out of there. Mm-hmm. But uh, we were in a, a, a gymnasium in uh, New Alm, and uh, Buck uh, was part, uh, partner with the Crusher. So Buck comes out uh, with his radio, his boombox, and uh, instead of a rock and roll song in there, we put a polka. <laughs> and he did polka music. Yeah. Well, you can imagine the house came down, the crush came in, you know, how he was, hey, how about that? Walking around in the ring, driving all the, all the gals that were inside and doing the polka. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was um, you talk about having fun to travel with uh, with the crush, and uh, I I love traveling with uh, uh, Mad Dog Vachon. Yeah. And of course, my favorite was with Andre the Giant. Yeah. Uh, you know, every fall, Andre would come in from New York, and we'd do the Battle Royals. You know, mm-hmm. September, October. And Vern would uh, have the giant for about two months. And uh, he was my responsibility to get him to all of the towns. They'd, you know, <laughs> do his booking for, you know, for his uh, airlines. And if we were doing a town, you know, two, three hundred miles away or less, I would pick up uh, Andre and he'd ride with me and, uh, you know, it, it was fun. Yeah. He was such a great guy, just a, uh, what a gentleman, you know, the old yeah. cliche, the gentle giant. Yes. Uh, he was, we were in Winnipeg, um, uh, and it happened to be my, uh, birthday, uh, okay. in uh, November and, and, uh, Andre uh, found out that it was Al's birthday. You know, he called everybody boss. Everybody, <laughs> everybody was boss. But yeah. <laughs> he found out it was my birthday. And so he made a deal after the matches with the manager of the hotel. We were staying at a hotel, had a pretty good size uh, swimming pool area. He uh, made a deal with the manager to open up the pool, and um, Andre had all the food catered in and big wow. magnum bottles of champagne for Al's <laughs> birthday. In fact, in my bar here at home, I have a empty big magnum uh, bottle of uh, champagne uh, signed. Uh, to my uh, pal Al uh, Andre the Giant, I have wow. that in my. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. But, yeah, he, you know, it was amazing. Uh, you you go through the airport with the guy, and boy, you yeah. can imagine we go yeah. out to eat, we'd go to a bar, and, you know, he would drink beer and cavassier and play yeah. cribbage and. And, you know, the fans, he was good. We tried to keep the fans away from him as much as we could. But Andre never refused to 
sign an autograph or or say hello, you know, That's, to the family. Yeah. He, he was very good that way. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we, uh, I was fortunate to travel, you know, like with, I said, the Mad Dog and mm-hmm. and Larry the Accenting, Jesse and Adrian were a trip to travel with. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, Bobby would do interviews like we were going to be in um, a town in uh, Wisconsin, Chippewa Mm -hmm. Falls, Wisconsin, about an hour and a half from Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bobby said, I don't know what I'm doing. He said, Chippewa Falls is such a small town. Basket and Robbins only has two flavors. (laughs) (laughs) and he said if if they have a parade there's nobody left over to watch it and (laughs) you know all the time that that he was doing the weasel thing you know Mm -hmm. uh, that era when he was Bobby the weasel Mm -hmm. yeah in the weasel suit the Crushers yeah. run that started that out. We oh, were, uh, okay. Yeah, we were uh, uh, doing tapes at the uh, TV station, and I also directed uh, three or four uh, kids' programs. I did the syndicated show, Romper Room, and the opening of the show, we had a, uh, a jack-in-the-box where you turn the handle on. Da 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 you know, the, uh, Bobby, and he started, uh, he was singing uh, all around the ring, the crusher chased the weasel, pop goes the weasel. <laughs> and that's how that started. And, it, yeah. and, it, and so Wally Carmel's brother, Eddie, was a tailor. <laughs> And they made the weasel suit and wow. made the uh, wearing the weasel suit. Wow. That's... And that's how all I And on the uh, small town, Bobby was probably on every promotion. Well, 90% of my promotions, Bobby was there either uh, wrestling or with yeah. uh, Vern or Ray the Crippler, another guy. I'm telling you what a I have no problem with Gray, the crippler Stevens. He was unreal. But anyway, yeah. uh, in the small towns, uh, Bobby would do an interview and say, when I come to uh, Chippewa Falls, I don't want anybody calling me the weasel. You know, well, <laughs> naturally, you know, what they're going to do. So Bobby would get in the ring, and I would introduce him, and I would say, there's corner, blah, 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 blah. Bobby the Wheat, like, and I catch myself. <laughs> the same, 
I'd say Bobby the we I mean Bobby the brain ain't it. And he'd look at me and do his thing. And I'd say, please don't call him the weasel. So when I, I'd say don't and the people so then would Bobby would turn his back to me to walk, you know, into the corner ring or whatever and I'd give the fans to come on, wave them, and they start hopping. <laughs> we had that routine. He was, and then he would jump out of the ring. And then the rules were you had a count to 10 yeah. to get back into the ring or you're disqualified. <laughs> and uh, I would start counting, you know, 10, 9, and the fans would start counting with me. And Bobby'd wait till about the count of three, and he'd come running like heck and jumping into the ring. And he was—he had the quickest mind. I'm telling you, he uh, in his interviews uh, up in Winnipeg at the Battle Royal, fifty thousand dollar Battle Royal, Bobby, hmm. you know. Nick Black yeah. up going to win the Battle Royal, and we're going to walk out with $50,000. And he said, for the lucky cabbie who takes us to the airport, a $5 tip. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh. Uh, <laughs> Bobby, uh, I saw him be couple of years ago up uh, they were doing a thing up in uh, uh, Duluth uh, they brought him in uh, uh, for uh, autograph signing and mm-hmm. of course he you know he passed away from uh, cancer of the throat which, yeah yeah god that was so sad you know mm-hmm. when you think about a guy like Bobby who was without a doubt the sharpest, quickest mind, greatest manager ever. And he proved that, of course, yeah. when he went to New York yeah. and uh, to have that ending. But, you know, he was in good spirits, still laughing, telling jokes. And so <laughs> I uh, had a lot of uh, respect for him, yeah. uh, you know, uh, doing that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, I sit here and think... Uh, I know I'm jumping back and forth here, but uh, things pop into my mind. Yeah. Uh, it was fun, really fun traveling with the boys. Yeah. Uh, we had uh, Vern owned a Navajo Chieftain uh, twin engine uh, plane, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we would uh, use it fly all over uh, the country. Uh, We had uh, three pilots from uh, Northwest Airlines that flew the the plane for us. uh, And two of the pilots were pilots in Vietnam. But what they would do is bid their days off uh, and then fly the boys like the Denver, Winnipeg, wherever. Mm -hmm. And was my part of my job to um, put the, the wrestlers who had to stay back in the town like say Chicago to do interviews we would do every 
major town once every three weeks. And we'd mm-hmm. have to cut interviews, uh, you know, promoting the upcoming match through three weeks of interviews. And uh, so we'd have to hold them over. The rest of the guys would go commercial. Yeah. And we'd hold over. The plane could hold the uh, six, uh, six guys. Uh, you know, okay. they, they had to redo it. Uh, it was a uh, 10 plates, uh, but with the weight and the whole deal, yeah. they redid the. Anyway, you probably heard the famous story of the Mad Dog uh, opening <laughs> the doors uh, <laughs> when we were up 10,000 feet coming home yeah. from. Uh, Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> I have heard it. Yeah, you were in there. I didn't know you were in there. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, Greg Gagne tells the story, but he uh, embellishes it a little bit. Uh, yeah. But it was uh, it was dangerous because the type of uh, Navajo plane that we had had the. Uh, Real heavy uh, chains on the door, mm-hmm. in case of the door ever open, it wouldn't, pl- you know, break off and hit the tail. That'd be it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So, uh, this one, the dog opened the, uh, opened the door. I wanted some fresh air. <laughs> <laughs> Threw his boots out, and we landed, uh, and. Uh, that was the end of that. The mad dog was never allowed on the plane again. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, one time, a couple, two, three times, we had, we had uh, put under the giant thing. And oh, then one time we had, honest to God, I mean, we had uh, two midgets, Andre the giant, in the same plane. Mm. And... Uh, Andre would sit there, and he, he was so big, yeah. he'd have to lay his head on his shoulder and drink his cavassier <laughs> and play cribbage. But uh, it, 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 it was fun. Yeah. Bobby Heenan, uh, one time we were going, I don't know where, and we had a little Tokyo and uh, Cowboy Bill, uh, the two little midges. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one midget, uh, little Tokyo, gets up and he's kind of looking in the uh, cockpit. And uh, Nick Bockwinkle always flew the right seat. He you had to have somebody as a co-pilot. And mm-hmm. Nick could fly in. And so he would be the co-pilot. Mm-hmm. And uh, the midget is looking up and he sees the gas gauge, and it's empty. <laughs> and what they would do is run all the fuel out of the one tank and then throw the switch to the other tank. Uh. So Midget is, it, uh, uh, the little Tokyo, is like, he's going nuts. <laughs> he's jumping, yow, 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 jumping <laughs> up and down, and the pilot, Roy, no, and Nick, they see him, they know what it is, and so they wait until the, which is probably not a good idea. <laughs> but the plane was chugging a little bit, took it, took, and the pilot threw the switch, and it went from empty over to the 
full gauge <laughs> and the little Tokyo says, Ah, ah. <laughs> and when Bobby was in the plane with the midgets, he'd say, um, Al, book the midgets more. He said they can run up and down the aisle and bring me my beer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's funny yeah we had a lot of fun with yeah that. we flew that all over but well yeah yeah for probably five six years wow. it was they had navajo chief they had a table in there the boys could play uh, uh, uh cribbage or you know gin or mm. you could sit there and we could put two three people in the jump seat in the back so yeah, and that's where the where the dog was sitting in the back there on the jump seat. <laughs> that's when he opened the door. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but um, no, I uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, it. You know, it, it was a lot of uh, what? How many? Twenty? Twenty some years? Of, yeah, of uh, traveling all over. And, and a good experience working uh, in New York with uh, with Vince. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Vince was in the uh, rock and roll business with mm-hmm. Captain Lou Albano and Cindy Lauper. I rolled up with uh, Vince to uh, uh, Kapis- Kapinski. New York, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he went up to uh, pick up uh, a lot of uh, rock and roll uh, speakers and mics and whatever equipment that that he had there. And uh, when Vin, when uh, Vinny took over from his dad, uh, he was, you know, I mean, just existing. I mean, he was doing all right. And, yeah. Uh, uh, we, uh, I remember driving by uh, a warehouse district uh, with Vince, and, and he said, Al, I, I just uh, rented that uh, warehouse. And I said, oh, yeah, why? Are you going to do wrestling in there? Or why? <laughs> no, no, it's going to be for my merchandise. And I said, oh, well, he started out with the big, you know, foam rubber hand and, and Vince made a ton of money as did all the wrestlers mm-hmm. in their merchandise. Right. You know, Hulk Hogan with the lunch buckets and the t-shirts and the, you know, it was in uh, Jesse Ventura dolls and everybody made a ton of money. I've got some dolls here uh, with Jimmy Snuka and uh uh, the Iron Sheet, Kazuo, Masari. I uh, remember Kazuo. Uh, I do. Yes, Iron Sheik. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. He. Uh, he went through Vern's training camp. You know, Vern had a training camp here in mm-hmm. Minneapolis. He trained uh, uh, Greg Gagne, Jim Rosenthal, Rick Flair, yeah. uh, Baron von Raschke, uh he trained, uh, 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 what's his name, um, Steamboat, uh, Ricky Steamboat, Steamboat. Uh, uh, Paul Orndorff, 
Okay. Uh, oh God, the list goes on and on. Yeah. Uh, the Mad Dog and uh, uh, Vern and Billy Robinson ran mm-hmm. the uh, training camp, and I'm telling you, it was to to go through Vern's training camp and make it through. I mean, he it was a grueling, punishing. Uh, all day, all night, uh, uh, I'm telling you, uh, it was uh, learning to, uh, you know, take the falls in that ring, burn it, work them out, and all the push-ups and the running, and oh, my God, it was unbelievable <laughs> what they had to go. Yeah. But, yeah, anyway. And then, of course, little Buck Rock and Roll Zoomhop, the first time he didn't make it through. Mm. And uh, I'll be doggone when the training camp opened again. He uh, got a hold of Vern and insisted he wanted to come back. And they would uh, beat him from pillar to post and and uh, put him through the grinder. And little Buck made it through. Second time is charm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that that was very interesting. Uh, a lot of insight there, and and I I know the fans will, will appreciate it. There's a couple wow. more, a couple more things, and we'll we're gonna let you go here. What oh, are yeah, you? Do- no, I just you know again I apologize. No, no, no. I, Don't apologize. I, my mind wanders, and I you know things no. come in my mind, and I tried uh, to share no. some stories that I thought. Uh, yeah. The fans, the, sometimes I uh, kind of ramble on, no. but. No, you're fine. We, In fact, some of those things I've never heard, so I appreciate the insight. I know when this comes out, they're going to appreciate it. Very wow. much so, very much so. So what are you up I to have now? One, yeah, I have one other thing here okay. I was going to show with you. Uh, remember Chris Taylor? Yes, yes. The Olympic. Uh, wrestler yep. he uh, he made the front cover of Sports Illustrated when he was in the Olympics and uh, the uh, he was suplayed by the uh, uh, Russian uh, uh, Dietrich the Russian mm-hmm. uh, wrestler suplayed him and pinned okay. him in, uh, in the Olympics um, I was in uh, we were promoting on Labor Day in Davenport, Iowa, at the ballpark there. And uh, Chris was on the card. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were in the locker room, and I was getting, uh, I was refereeing, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting on the bench in the locker room with uh, Chris Taylor. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he started getting dizzy, and he, Al, there's something wrong with me. Boom. Down he went, fell right off the bench onto the floor, and uh, he was out. And we called, you know, of course, the uh, paramedics came, mm-hmm. and they, uh, you know, to try to take big Chris Taylor out of the ballpark through the tunnel and get him, get him out of there on a stretcher. It was unreal. We, I went to the hospital with him. And uh, uh, the doctors, uh, you know, of course, uh, 
an emergency room, and then they wanted mm-hmm. to give them some antibiotics and whatever. And, uh, you know, they said, what do you, you know, how much do you give a, a giant like him? You know, I mean, the guy was, what, 500 pounds or something. Yeah, he's a big and, guy. Uh, yeah, he eventually, he had phlebitis. I, uh, they, they think it was from uh, an injury that uh, a severe blow to his uh, uh, knee uh, mm. in one of the matches. And, but he eventually died of, uh, can't think of the name of the medical term now, but I stayed with him uh, for two days in Davenport until his wife uh, was able to come down there and he was in the hospital for uh, a couple of, oh, maybe two, two days, I think, and yeah. And they got him out of there and got brought him home to Iowa. We mm-hmm. also went to his uh, funeral down in Story City, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was uh, the all-time great wrestler in Iowa. Yeah. And uh, that's how he went to the Olympics. But Chris, uh, Chris went through Vern's training camp also. Mm-hmm. And I traveled with... Uh, with Chris for a lot. He was, you know, real nice guy. I'll yeah. tell you one thing that I mean this sincerely. Uh, you know, you, you travel with the boys. Uh, uh, I've traveled with everyone you can think of for years. Mm-hmm. And they each, you know, they each have their own, I don't want to say ego, but, you know, they all had their, like, Razor Crippler Stevens, <laughs> different <laughs> than say uh, uh, Mad Dog Rashad, or the difference than uh, uh, Jumping Jimmy Brunzel. They all had their personality, and yeah. they all had their uh, you know their their ring persona and whatever. But it was fun, and I can't think of maybe one or two wrestlers in all the years that I traveled with and promoted that, mm-hmm. that was that I didn't get along with and have fun. And, uh, there were a couple of them that I would not want to be around at all, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you won't, you won't go into any names, but basically, um, Everybody, uh, everyone I worked with was just great. Just, yeah. yeah. And then I'm looking here, too. I, the, uh, with Ed Asner, we did the movie, The Wrestler. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was, I worked on that uh, with okay. uh, her. And uh, that was fun. With, yeah. Uh, 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 the Crusher and the Bruiser, and <laughs> and uh, then we had uh, oh god, who was the uh, Japanese wrestler? Um, uh, what was the Japanese wrestler that teamed with Ken Patera? Master Saido. Saido. Yeah. Right. And that was another deal, you know about. 
the deal that happened in uh, Wisconsin where they mm-hmm. ended up going to prison. I, uh, Vern, or, uh, Wally and I and Mick Bockwinkle went to their trial uh, and there was a fan that threw the rock through the window at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. They didn't. You know the story about that? Yeah, I've heard it. Uh, they went up. Uh, you could tell, though. Go ahead. I mean, go ahead. Well, you know, the the boys, nobody ever ate prior to the match. You know, right. I mean, they didn't have to wait until after the matches were over. And then they would, you know, go and get something to eat. So, uh, right just so right by the arena where we were wrestling, I think it was Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, Saido and Patera went down to uh, McDonald's. They wanted to get something to eat. It was like almost midnight. And they said, I'm sorry, we're, we're closed. And they were inside uh, and they noticed uh, some uh, cheeseburgers and stuff on a tray Mm-hmm. And they wanted to buy them, and they said no, they couldn't. That are outdated or whatever. Uh, we can't sell them, so they reluctantly left, and there were a bunch of fans outside. And of course, they were they had just wrestled, and and the, uh, a lot of the fans were there, and and uh, the Terra. And, they won the other uh, tag team that night. And anyway, the fans started harassing them and hollering at them and one thing, another, and uh, <laughs> threw a rock through the window. And Saido and Patero went back to their hotel and comes a knock on the door. And Patera is on the phone. So Saido goes out uh and to the hallway to see who it is. And he didn't, he spoke a little English, but not, you know, not a lot of English. And they're, you know, arrest him and this and there. And Kenny hears the disturbance and hangs up the phone and goes out in the hall. And, and Kenny as much as told him, you know, go whatever. We didn't, uh, that's bullshit. We never did that. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they went back in the room. And about 15, 20 minutes later, knock on the door. And they open the door. And there's three or four cops there. And oh, they uh, come in and start uh, uh, going to arrest them, put them in handcuffs, and haul them away. And uh, Patera and uh, Saido started to uh, defend themselves, and there were a few police uh, cops flying around the room. I'll tell you, it was something. <laughs> and uh, anyway, they got they were arrested, and then they had to go to a trial. And we went down to uh, Milwaukee uh, for the uh, trial, and the uh, judge. Uh, must have been a wrestling fan that didn't like the heels. And, uh, <laughs> he, uh no, I mean, uh, it was, 
a kangaroo court. I mean, they, they were guilty no matter what. And they ended up in prison for, I think, three years. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Now they now they get probation these days. Oh, yeah. Saito got out of prison and went back to Japan and never came back. <laughs> I don't blame him. <laughs> when, when, when Jesse Ventura became governor, uh, Jesse uh, was invited to go over to um, Japan. Um, uh, Saito set up a deal and they brought uh, Jesse um, and his wife and family over uh, to Japan as, you know, for the visit from the Minnesota governor. So that was a, that was another hoo-ha with uh, Jesse running running for governor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Al? Yeah, he, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Al. You're going. Oh, he was... Uh, Jesse was uh, a really intelligent guy. I mean, he was no, he was no dummy. I mean, this. Yeah. He uh, he knew. Uh, I mean, he was really. Uh, when he he called me up one day and said, oh, "I'm going to run for governor," and I said, "What? <laughs> yeah." He was the mayor of Brooklyn Center here in. In the suburb, he was the mayor for a couple of years. Anyway, he uh, was out at the Minnesota State Fair, and there's Jesse on the corner uh, with his Navy SEAL jacket on and shaking hands and talking to the uh, to the fans. And uh, uh, he was uh, running against uh, Skip Humphrey, uh, uh, Hubert Humphrey's uh, son. Yeah. And uh, they said, uh, you know, they noticed uh, Jesse uh, starting to get pretty popular. And they, they said, what, uh, they're going to have another debate. So they said, we'll invite the big dumb wrestler on the, on the debate. And, uh, you know, we'll, uh, well, really put him down, and that'll be the end to him. Well, Jesse did the opposite. He made the <laughs> country look like a jabroni. <laughs> anyway, uh, and Jesse, you know, rented a, a, a bus and toured all the uh, uh, wrestling towns in Minnesota that he wrestled in. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesse was one of those guys that... Uh, you know, you uh, you hated them, but deep down you liked them. And uh, the rural vote came in, uh, and I'll be doggone if he didn't win. Yeah. And he was a fantastic governor. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, Al, uh, I want to tell you thank you. I mean, that was a lot of insight. That was wonderful. I just wanted to, what are you doing now, sir? What are you, you got any projects going on or? All right. What I'm doing now on 19, uh, I'm working, I'm vice, senior vice president for a trade association for the carnival industry. Okay. Uh, 
I've, I've been with them now 31 years. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I went to work uh, uh, in 1989, the OABA, Outdoor Amusement Business Association, uh, was celebrating their 25th anniversary, and their uh, president wanted to produce a 25th anniversary video, and he knew of my um, background uh, in television and asked me to uh, produce a tape, which we did uh, at the Minnesota State Fair. And I was that was the end of my wrestling in 1989, 1989, mm-hmm. uh, 1990, excuse me. And he, uh, Raleigh, the guy's name, said, Al, are you doing anything now? And I said, well, I'm uh, uh, not really. Uh, <laughs> Well, he said, I could use you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we're going to, we've got a convention coming up in Florida, and you could help in the booth and blah, blah, blah. So I started with them in 1990. Okay. And uh, um, I uh, did, um, I normally do uh, 25 30 fairs a year oh, all wow. across the yeah all across the United States and Canada my main job was to do uh, fundraising uh, for scholarships for uh, kids in the carnival and fair industry wow. and uh, yeah I've been doing that for 26 years mm-hmm. of the 32 years and I've uh, I did uh, all, well over 450, uh, we call them jamborees, and I traveled to all 450 uh, and did the um, live auctioneering and auctioned off and raised money for scholarships. So wow. I, I've done that. I'm, I'm still with them when the... Uh, COVID hit, of course, it closed down all the carnivals and mm-hmm. fairs and celebrations. So uh, I was uh, furloughed for a while. We're starting back up again and uh, okay. got some uh, conventions coming up. So I hope to uh, okay. uh, be able to get back on track. I'll be uh, 86 years old uh, now in November. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you, you're still going, uh, though. Hey, you're still going. Yeah, so, and uh, my uh, my bride, we've been married uh, 66 years. Oh, congratulations. So, yeah, she's put up with me with the carnival industry and wrestling and TV. <laughs> anyway. Wonderful. Yeah, well, uh, Brian, I appreciate it. I hope... Uh, Oh, my pleasure. Too long no, no, no. I want to uh, thank you, sir, for your time today and your insight on all this. I mean, it's been it's been wonderful, and I uh, really appreciate uh, it. And and ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Al Darusha, Al, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And thank you, Brian. You if, be- uh, if you ever wanted. Any other questions or whatever, I 
wouldn't mind going back on with you. I, I, pre- I appreciate Deal. that, sir. I appreciate that. And folks, if you're listening, please subscribe. And we also have a YouTube channel and a Teespring store. So look us up and enjoy the podcast. Thank you.